So hello and welcome to the Crown Cast. Um, I am sat here today. My name is Rich Hyden, as you know, community archaeologist, and we are with Dylan. Dylan, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hello. So uh, my name is Dylan. I am the learning officer here at the Scottish Cranach Centre, and today I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Balakulish figure. Yes. So we decided that we'd take a, a slight foray for the first time during the Crown Cast outside of collection we have here mm. at the Scottish Crown Oak Centre. Um, the reason we're doing this in, and the reason we've chose the Balahulish figurine, as it's sometimes called, the Balahulish statue, um, the Balahulish goddess, the, the, there's some other weird wonderful names like the goddess of the straits, I've read that one. Mm. Um, but the reason we're choosing this this piece is, is simply because, um, to give you a bit of a background, it was, uh, what we're talking about when we talk about the Balahulish figure is uh, it's kind of, I suppose, life-sized is one way of looking at it. Maybe slightly yeah, smaller, larger, but it's a mm. life-size figurine or a figure carved um, from older. It was older wood that was carved it. Um, it was found with pebbles in its eyes. Um, and it was, seemed to be, from the figurine, um, a girl or a goddess is one of the things they've said. It was, it was a female figure mm. is what they've put it down to. Um, the other big thing about the Balahulish figure is that when it was discovered, it was discovered with, I think there was the hint of stones embedded in the bottom, mm. which was the thought that it might have been stood or placed on some sort of pebbly area. Mm. I think it's been said the beach in the past or something beach-like. It's, again, lots there. But the other thing that's really interesting is how it was found with woven um, fragments, I believe it was hazel, um, I believe it was hazel, woven uh, around it on the front, on the top of where it was found and above of where it was found. Um, so it's called the Balahoosh figure because it was found in Balahoolish, um, where it was identified. Um, they were doing buildings. I think it was a bit of rescue archaeology with a bit of work that was done when, it, when they were constructing. Um, and again, there was the, the woven thing, and it's been argued it might be either a container. If not a container, it might be... What we have a lot of here is, is hazel hurdles, woven mm. hazel panels, some sort of panel that, that was kind of part of it. I think with the use of the word goddess, people tend to assign the word shrine as mm. well, following on to that. Um, so that's the that's the artefact itself, uh, the Balahuj figure. The other reason we've chosen it is that, that they did do radiocarbon dating work on the, the figure, um, and that work that was done gave it a date, I think it was around 600 BC, give or take. So um, again, give or take a big chunk what this is and this is why why it's one of the things that we do like to talk about is it is directly contemporary with our cranog oak bank cranog and the story that we tell here it's nice to have something contemporary which is just over the hill on the other side it's got one but just over the hill um and, it, and it's a relevant piece in terms of the time scale so that's my very very Mm. quick introduction <laughs> as to what the figurine was from, from my archaeological perspective mm. and, and from the again all this information you can, you can find out it's there um but it's basically an iron age statue mm. which it's the only one of its kind um and the reason well it's the only one i know of it's the only one found in scotland yeah. there are a few others elsewhere yeah and the big thing for it is is that we actually have a figurine here on site a replica mm. um that we that we we decide to create into a shrine. We use it sometimes as a feedback shrine. We use it as all sorts of things. Mm. Um, so, Dylan, you you are the Balahulish expert. 
Well, <laughs> so I think um, the figurine that we've got here um, is one of my favourites that we've got, even though it's not part of the collection we have in the museum. Mm -hmm. The fact we've got a replica of it, I think, is really quite marvellous because um, it's one of my... Um, the original is in the uh, National Museum of Scotland in yep. Edinburgh yep. and uh, it's part of the Early People's uh, Collection and it is... Um, Slightly warped, it hasn't aged very well, but we've been able to make this replica outside using um, some really good photographs that were taken at the time. So it was discovered in um, 1880, I think, and they were, um, for the time, the photographs that they took were really quite incredible. Um, but by looking at the original, the reason I really wanted to talk about it today yeah. is because I think it's quite a, a good prompt or quite a good starting point for thinking about um, how do we interpret the Celtic past mm -hmm. um, and how... Um, obviously, with us talking about these people being Celts, we use that word quite an awful or an awful lot um, at the museum. We run like Celtic summer, Celts are coming, yeah. all that. And I don't think this is necessarily you know a bad word. We shouldn't no. use it, but I, I mean, think we should be conscious of yeah. archaeologically, it's dynamite sometimes. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it triggers all sorts. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a catch-all term that taken on a lot of extra meanings. I yeah, think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah. I think that it's. Um, for something that was used in the past, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't ever applied to the people who were living here. And as well, the word Celt is an externally applied term yeah. um, from cultures outside, so mainly Greeks and Romans. Yeah. And again, coming into its modern usage, it's an externally applied term by antiquarians in the 1600s and yeah. 1700s. I mean, if you take the Roman equivalent of Celtic, it spreads from the top of Scotland to mm. the, you know, the... the East, west of Spain mm -hmm. to basically the east of Turkey, mm -hmm. you know, and everywhere yeah. in between. Above and them. these are all places where they're speaking Celtic languages, yeah. um, but they're not necessarily um, Celtic languages. And if you think about markers in the archaeological record of Celtic culture, mm -hmm. um, which obviously is dangerous territory, yeah. um, but a lot of the time things like the Ten Art, Halfstart Art doesn't always match up exactly with the boundaries we find of no. the Celtic languages being spoken. No. Um, but I think that the Celtic, or well, the Balahulish figure itself, um, it was discovered in the 1880s, where we're beginning to get what we would call the Celtic revival. And this is where people are beginning to take a very romantic view of the Celts. They're beginning to understand the Celts as something that's very um, ancient and misty and yeah. wistful and all of that. And... Um, with the discovery of the Balahulish figure and it's sort of, it was identified as a goddess or as a woman. Mm -hmm. And looking at some of the pictures that we see that were taken at the time, there's not necessarily much to indicate that it would have been a woman. Mm -hmm. um, there have been lots of, uh, some of them that have been found on the, or some similar figures have been found in Europe. Mm -hmm. Definitely do have all the bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. um, but ours... The mechanics? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But ours does not. Okay. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily important to think of it as having a gender. It's a piece of wood. Yes. Um, it's not necessarily important for interpreting it. Yes. Um, but when I look at it, I think it's got a beard. But that's besides the point. Um, the yeah. yeah. But this is something that we find quite a lot that a sort of holdover from the Celtic revival in terms yeah. of interpreting the Celtic past. We're looking for goddesses. We're looking for something myst mystical and for something that's yeah. kind of, yeah, along those sorts of romantic lines. But yeah. it's not necessarily there, even though we might want to look for it. Yeah. And um, so my background is in Celtic studies. So yeah. not just of the ancient Celts, but also looking at 
Um, I mainly looked at medieval literature um, or the medieval literature of Ireland and Wales and um, modern Celtic speaking cultures. So yes. whether that's um, Gaelic speaking people, Welsh, Cornish, Manx, all of that. Um, but what we find in a lot of modern interpretations of medieval literature is you have lots of female figures uh, that have some sort of um, significance in these stories. Okay. And this significance is often attributed to them being goddesses. And a lot of the time we find that women in a lot of these old medieval stories are reduced down to being either sovereign goddesses or fertility goddesses. Yes. When it's quite reductive to think of them in that way. Yeah. And again... This is sort of a holdover from this Celtic revival period, trying to find these goddesses, trying to find this romanticism. And I think it definitely does have a... These figures may have their roots in something that is pagan or something that is, um, you know, a deity, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily there where we look for it in these medieval texts. And a lot of this feeding down into the modern day um, can be quite... I don't want to say um, harmful, because I don't think I would go quite so far as to say that. Um, but I think in some cases, it, it doesn't necessarily do much good no. for thinking about modern Celtic cultures as being part of something yeah. that is ancient. And it can... Yeah, it's, it's, applying modern, it's applying modern constructs, mm-hmm. modern um, you know, gender constructs, as it might be, or, or 1880 gender constructs to mm-hmm. prehistoric societies yeah you know, and, and mm-hmm. something that we always always try and tell a story of here be it uh, whether we're talking about the, the, the Balakulish figurine in this case or if we were talking about the liar or mm. the the the, the quernstone or, or the iron knife we aren't we aren't from these people's culture mm. if i today wasn't from somebody else's culture in the world i would never talk with an authority on mm. their culture because i am not from their culture uh-huh. so i'm not saying that we should you know, throw everything out the window, but no. we are not part of these people's culture. Mm-hmm. So we always need to think about and just take a step back and, and reflect, just as you're saying, mm. you know, maybe we shouldn't call it the Balahulish goddess mm. because that's probably what, maybe not what they called it. Yeah. We're, we're mm. applying a concept and it might have been, it might have been. And I say, I don't think it's damaging. I mm. think it can be, um, the word I'm searching for would be misinforming because mm-hmm. it can have an uncertainty around it yeah and something that i always find we have to be as a museum very careful with is you know our story that we tell we can tell it with quite an, an authority mm. which can give a certainty to things that are actually quite uncertain yeah and with this it's a fantastic example as you've just perfectly put it there that you know there's an uncertainty around this mm. But we need to be careful that we don't talk about it with certainty because mm. actually that's quite culturally insensitive. Mm. Just because that culture's not here anymore doesn't yeah. mean uh-huh. we should be, you know, to a degree not insensitive, sensitive around whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think um, talking about how the, this culture isn't here anymore, um, there is again this sort of conflation of Celticness being mm. a single thing. Yeah. Well, you've still got the Celtic fringe up till you know the the, the idea of this England, but then you've got Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. Yeah, that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still and Celtic fringe. There is this 
continuation. And I think it is a bit like, you know, you can't be too forceful in saying that, oh, there's nothing in common between these people who live there and these yeah. people who live there. There are always going to be commonalities, mm. and especially when um, you have linguistic continuities, mm. um, you are going to find things, because if you're speaking the same language, you are much more likely to have, or you're speaking similar languages, mm-hmm. um, you are more likely to have this cultural contact. And yeah. the Balahulish figure kind of does represent that in a way, yes. because we know that... Um, Balhulish figure, we find some um, elsewhere in Britain, but a lot of the times we find stuff that look very similar to this figurine in um, continental Europe. And even looking at a lot of artefacts that are found in Scotland as well, like um, the sort of three-headed carved stone that was found somewhere up north, I can't remember exactly where, um, that I think the theory is it was carved in Gaul and it was brought up here. So you do find these continuities all the way through and you do find that they are they are present and they are. Um, but when you're dealing with timescales, like we're thinking two and a half thousand years ago, mm-hmm. running all the way down to a contemporary culture, mm-hmm. we do run the danger of oversimplifying. And it is a little bit like saying that... Um, French, Spanish, and Italian culture is Roman culture, when that's not necessarily the most accurate. Even though aspects of those cultures might be descended from that, there's much more going on there. The Celtic culture is multicultural. Yeah. Uh, It's a (laughs) linguistic term in in its most basic kind of definition. Celtic doesn't really mean anything apart from people who are speaking a certain language family um and i think this is just it's not to say that you know we shouldn't say this word we shouldn't use it but i think we should be careful about how we use it and mindful and we should know what it means when we use it yeah just aware of the power of what it what it does yeah Mm, exactly so i'm saying all that Mm -hmm. we can't be certain Mm -hmm. this is what the balahulish figure is yes but dylan Mm -hmm. what is the balahulish figure (laughs) I'm after an opinion now, mm. not, not, a, not, a, <laughs> not an answer of its height and its weight. No, yeah. Uh-huh. What, 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 mm. just, just, you know, there's no wrong answer. I think everybody yeah. has gathered that you know you don't know, and we don't, mm. we don't know, mm-hmm. and it could mm-hmm. be a hundred different things, but for yourself. Yeah. I think that, to me, it is probably, it does probably represent a person whether that be an ancestor, mm-hmm. a living person, or a goddess, or something like that. Um, but if we look at, again, the context that we find the Balahulish figure in, mm-hmm. it is very similar to the context that we find, so for instance, ritual deposits, where people have um, created objects, broken them, thrown them into water, or into a bog, or a river. Water had a great significance to yeah. Celtic-speaking cultures, yeah. um, sort of, religiously, ritually, spiritually speaking. Um, So it probably was something to do with religion, ritual. That's why it's there, I think. Um, But as well, it it kind of, you can't help but think it's, you know, the way it was found in this bog. It's probably got some sort of, along the same train of thought as bog bodies. And then you get into this sort of thing what are bog bodies for? Why are they put there? What does that mean? That's a whole other thing. But I think it's probably the same train of thought. That Connectivity to it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, there's this element. I think, I think what you what what is something I want to pull on is this element of there's something atypical about it. Yeah, I think that mm-hmm. that's kind of thing. I think a good a good way of, of framing, you know, the, the nature of things. Mm. We we talk. So one of the great 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 examples a parallel to this. Um, just maybe not apply directly, but it is a good mm. parallel. Is in the collection here at the Cranach Centre. We have a sandstone pendant. Mm. Okay, it's not very big at all, but it's got an oval hole drilled at the top, so mm. it's like a it's like a nice little trapeze shape. Um, quite a beautiful piece. Very simple, simple geometric shape, but it looks like a pendant. There is an mm. argument it might have been sandstone. It's sandstone, definitely sandstone. Mm. It might have been a weight of some sort, but it's so thin, it's mm. so undamaged, it's so smooth. Um, we go for the, the view of a pendant. Now, I know we, we sent this as a idea. We put, oh, we've got a sandstone pendant, and we had it looked at, and somebody said, oh, it won't be a sandstone pendant. You don't find sandstone pendants. That's not a thing, really, in mm. the Iron Age of Scotland or, or Britain that much. Mm. It's not something you really have. If it's a flat, and we explain the shape to it and, and the feedback was, flat stone, it's probably used for sharpening. So it's small, short, used for sharpening tools, like a small whetstone, mm. basically, as it is. And then um, we actually had it looked at by the person that said they thought it might have been a sandstone. And the feedback was, um, it shows nowhere whatsoever, it's probably a sandstone pendant. Mm, So it was this original thought, Mm. let's take the whole culture and apply the whole culture to this single artefact. Well, it's not going to be that, it must be this. Mm -hmm. But then what you've ignored there is the agency of the individual. Yeah. Mm. And that's a very Mm. fluffy term, and I know it sounds daft, but actually... Somebody walked along mm. Lotte as a person, as an individual, probably found the sandstone, mm. thought, that would make a nice pendant. Mm. And without thought of culture or anything or what's <laughs> around them, uh, made a pendant. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that's something quite simple, so it's easy to apply. Yeah. What you've got here is, is a figurine that, like you said, has been buried. Mm. Um, is it a woodworker? Is it somebody practicing their craft? Mm. Is it the skill? You know, somebody that's thought, you know, what I would like to do, yeah, is make a figurine. Mm-hmm. And they've gone. <laughs> I mean, when you look at it, um, um, don't don't be insulted. It is not a finely carved face with all the details and everything no. showing. It's mm-hmm. quite. I don't want to say rudimentary, mm. but it's quite simple. It's quite chunky. Yeah, there's a big head. Mm-hmm. There's quite a small body. <laughs> it's it's life size. I don't think it's life size roughly, but it's not life scale mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's got a silly grinny face. Mm-hmm. It's got a long, thin nose, and it's got these two out of sized eyes pushed in on mm-hmm. the same size. Um, contemporary with this, if you go to Greece, you've got mm-hmm. people carving phenomenal pieces of stonework that's identical. Mm. So I'm not saying there that, that you know, the people in Greece that are better at carving things than uh, the pier. Absolutely mm. not. What I'm saying is, is that if there was carving going on up here, it would have been a wood. Mm. And it's not surviving. So there's this kind of, I think, you know, as a, as a wider context for the, for Europe at this time, you know, people have developed skills, wide skills at this time. Mm. Is this quite a simple, basic start? I don't mm. know. I, I don't know the answer to this Yeah, question. and... Maybe because it is quite nondescript, it would have been quite multi-purpose back then. It could have been, could have meant whatever they wanted it to mean. Yeah, and I think it's it's quite a, it's quite a powerful piece. I mean, you mm. look at it and you go, oh, 
you know, you remember it when you see it. Yeah. And it's mm. little legs and it's little stubby thing. Uh-huh. It's, it's quite it's quite an incredible piece. Mm. But I mean, there is the question. I know um, it's it's in the National Museum of Scotland. Yeah. Um, I think in there they've got a thing about it being um, you know this element of supernatural around it as well. Mm. As I said, it's atypical. Mm-hmm. We don't see every household having one of these. No. Because we certainly don't see it in the archaeology. In that yeah. way, it would be more present. Mm-hmm. But there is something quite special and quite unique about it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So for my... I know I've waffled on there, but from, if I was to give an interpretation of it, um, I like the idea with its way it's de- 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 depo- deposited mm-hmm. in terms of how we find it being woven together mm-hmm. you know there's that element of is it a hurdle that was on it was it two mm. hurdles was it one single basket that was woven around it mm. there's a clear intent for deposition it hasn't just been lost no and mm-hmm. i think you're exactly right in connecting it you know oh buddy there's a clear intent to mm-hmm. depose it d- d- dispose i can't even get my words right <laughs> deposit it in one place yeah so i think there is a process there mm-hmm think there is an intentional process there mm. i think it definitely due to that intentional process for being taken woven paneled however it might be mm-hmm. and then disposed of or deposited into or placed because again all those words quite inhuman placed mm-hmm. um into you know where we then found it two mm. and a half thousand years later there was a purpose to go through that process. This yes. isn't a crack mm-hmm. statue chucked in, chucked no. away. No, there's a process that's been gone through there, and that mm-hmm. process must have meant there was meaning to someone. Mm-hmm. So my answer, if I was to give the answer as to what I think it is, is I would say it was meaningful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what you can say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is such a. As much as we really want to know the specifics about, and I think this is a whole other kettle of fish, but um, Celtic mythology, Celtic religion, it's stuff that people are really, really fascinated by. And and for all of the certainty that we want to have mm-hmm. around it, we don't necessarily have it. And it's not always there. But the one thing that we really can be certain about, if we can be certain about anything, is that certain things had a certain significance. Yeah. And it just depends on the context that they're in. Yeah, and I think we can't, as I said, we should never be assertive about about what that significance is. Mm-hmm. But what we can be certain about, and we can be assertive about, is that it was significant. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. kind of that's that's the, the line that I think we as a as a at the Crown Oak Centre actually, I think that's a line that we walk very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and I like the Balahoot figure because it is clearly something mm-hmm. and that sounds terrible it is clearly <laughs> something uh-huh. but it is clearly something and, yeah. and it's, it just fits with the whole the early Iron Age is such a wonderfully mysterious and, and foggy part of mm-hmm. prehistory but again that foggy part of prehistory is what makes it so interesting mm. and so engaging mm. it's a bit like we talk about water being mysterious to the Celts mm-hmm. all of these ritual deposits being closely associated with watery places, mm-hmm. with um, rivers, lochs, bogs, all that. Um, and we think about why is water mysterious to them? Because you can't see it. You can't see beneath it. It's murky. It is mysterious. And I think it's for exactly the same reason that when we look back to the early Iron Age, and when we have something that is quite as captivating as this yeah. Balhulish figurine, and um, 
it is very easy and I think it's justified yeah. to be very curious about it and to think that yeah. there is something really interesting there and to want to know mm. to know more. And I think there is this kind of yeah, it's all it's all there. Not to whip around, but to just carry on with that. I think mm. what 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 would be really interesting is when you look at the figure, it is life size. It has a slightly enlarged head of mm. some shape or form. It's got slightly you know, one bright eye, they were white. I believe the, the stones were white in its eyes. Mm. The wood would have been older. Now, older would have, it goes, if it, it would have been stripped back from the bark. Mm. So I'm just, I'm working through here, actually, as I'm looking at it. It's actually, is it would have been stripped back from the bark. Older is known as a wood that bleeds. Mm. So actually, if you leave older, is it stripped back? Mm. It goes red. Yeah. And then actually, it would then go from red to quite a, a, a sort of a very dark colour. Mm. Um I always think about the place that that mm. would have been as well. Mm. Um, I was I was chatting the other day about about you know senses of place that you get, and with this, I think where you placed it would really dictate to it. So you know, before it was deposited, did it have a place somewhere? Mm -hmm. And that's the things that we have to track back, and then mm. you have to think about that place it would have been. Mm. We don't know what it is, but because if it was as unique as we. See, mm. and as the archaeology on a wider scale might indicate it mm. being quite a unique thing, it would have been quite a unique thing to see. Yeah. You know, mm. um, think about a darkened space, different places mm. that would have stood. We don't know what, what place that would have been, but I think wherever it would have been would have been a place to see. And yeah. It would have been somewhere. Mm. Um, again, I'm not going to go be assertive with it, but. Yeah. Mm. Wonderful. Dylan, have you got anything else you'd like to bedazzle us about the Balahunish figure? I think that's about my rant over. So basically what we've done is we've talked about the Balahulish figure mm -hmm. and our conclusions are is that it was a figure mm -hmm. and it was found in Balahulish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that sums it up pretty well. Um, but that's great. And, and uh, again, I, I would encourage you to go in and look it up mm -hmm. as well. Go and see it and, and have a think, come up to your own conclusions around it. But also, you know, it's it's quite a... Incredible piece of woodwork, just mm -hmm. to see. Wonderful. Um, that's pretty much it for the Crowncast this week. Uh, we're going to have a video podcast next week. Um, so next Sunday we'll be releasing our next video one on YouTube and all the places you get your podcasts. Um, and then we'll be doing alternating every week then from audio to video to audio to video to audio to video. Um, for warning for now, over the Christmas break, we will obviously be taking a pause uh, for the Crowdcast and we'll return in full strength in January at some point. But thank you for listening.